Welcome to Heads Up Hockey. It is all things hockey talk and all things centric around the game. And it's also New Jersey Devils talk as well. And please enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Heads Up Hockey. It is Jersey Joe talking today. So the Oilers are officially coming to New Jersey tonight. And the Devils are looking to extend their streak, their win streak, that is. Hopefully, they can maintain their current pace of play. Also, I'll update you about the analytics I created uh, it's going to be an interesting conversation because the way the team has played so far, uh, the past near 20 games, 18 and counting, very soon it's going to be 19. So with that being said, <clears throat> the conundrum for a lot of teams is that they used to shut down Jack Hughes and Nico Heischer, but... Because of the emergence of Nathan Bastion, a little bit of Jesper Bokvist, you know, stuff like that, the Devils are really on pace. They have multiple guys looking at potential of 50 points, 40 points, 36, 41, 87, 92, 100. You know, they got so many guys that can make every line look like a first line or a second line. And it's going to show you that there's so much skill and depth on the forward core. There's about several guys on pace for 22, 20 goal seasons. And a guy like Miles Wood is looking at 27. Dawson Mercer is looking at 22. Tatar is looking at 13. You look at Jack Hughes, he's he's going to be along with Jesper Braff for 32 goals each on average. So with that being said, Nico Heischer is looking at 43 goals easily. Bokvist, Bastion, looking at 14 goals currently in Zetterland at 18. So <clears throat> if the way the Devils keep the way it's going... It's going to be really hard for teams to stop them. It's going to be really hard to contain them. It's going to be hard to defeat them. Now, with that being said, the offense on the blue line with guys like Dougie Hamilton looking at 64 points, 32 with Ryan Graves at the current pace, John Marino with possibly 36, Damon Severson about 18, Jonas Siegenthaler about 27, and the maximum for Brandon Smith would be like five. But with that being said, I think the Devils are going to still make a few moves, but nothing too radical. They want to maintain what they have with their current roster. And the over time, the Metropolitan is going to filter out a little bit more. There's going to be more and more uh, injury bugs. There's going to be more volatility, I like to think of it as, within the Metropolitan. And it's gotten to that point a little bit. So last I spoke, the Devils started their win streak. 
If not, they were in the middle of like, what, five games? And it's really been rather outstanding. And the Devils are 15-3-0. And they have a goal differential of plus 26. And they're currently ahead of the Carolina Hurricanes by seven points. And the Islanders are at 22. Now, I know the Islanders have 22 points, but they are 11 and 8. And you have the New York Rangers who are just one win away or one point away from an Islanders loss to take over the Islanders in the third spot in the Metropolitan and getting the Islanders into the wild card. So with that being said, you know, the Metropolitan can be rather volatile for the next foreseeable games. You have 18 games and 19 games already played for the rest of the Metropolitan and Eastern Conference teams. However, a lot can happen. I've been saying this. I know it sounds rather repetitive, but it is the truth. The closer to American Thanksgiving, more than 88% of the time, if not 90 plus percent of the time, I can look up Money Puck and I'll do another one of those again. So Money Puck will tell me something interesting because they actually track all the games and winning percentages and odds of winning, which I absolutely love that kind of stuff. I'm a, I'm a numbers freak and I can't get too ahead of myself, but I like what they do. And so if, the, Del- the Devils are looking at something interesting. So if you look at the playoff odds, you look at the chart, making the playoffs, the Vegas Golden Knights have a 99.3. Boston has a 98.7. The Devils have a 97.4. And the next team is Dallas at 96.6. So let me throw this in there. Let me just do the... The Metropolitan team. So it's the Devils at 97.4. Then you have Carolina at 96. And then you have the Pittsburgh Penguins at 87.7. And if that sounds about right, the odds of the first three, let me just do the first eight teams, make the second round. So that would be I I like to have fun with this. I'm trying not to get ahead, but maybe I shouldn't do it make the second round stuff because it's a little too early. But I already left off at let's see, yeah, Devils, Carolina. Then you have Dallas, Seattle. One, two, three. So you have Vegas, Boston, New Jersey, Dallas. You have Carolina, Seattle, Florida, and Pittsburgh. So you have an interesting uh, playoff percentage all the way down to 87.7%. 
So really, it's going to get rather juicy with teams like Minnesota, the Rangers, the Lightning, Toronto. You're going to have Winnipeg, Colorado, all trying to gang up on teams like the the Kings of LA and the Calgary Flames are going to try and do their best to make a play, a big push. Now, I like to have fun with winning the cup. So the the odds for Vegas is 11.2, that's the most. Dallas at 10%, Carolina at 9.9. Then you have Boston at 9.4, Pittsburgh at 8.8, then you have Florida at 8.4. New Jersey at 6.2. So with that being said, I want to have fun with the the total points. Total points right now, Boston's looking at 114. Vegas is looking at 113. New Jersey's looking at 110. So let me stop there for a minute. This is going to be a nail-biter. You'd have the Devils at 110. You'd have Carolina at 108. Let's ra- let's round that up to 109 because it's 108.8. Then you'd have Pittsburgh at 103. Then you would have the Rangers at 95. And then you'd have the Islanders at 87. So with that being mentioned, I think it's going to be similar to that if the current pace of play goes for all those teams in the Metro. However, um, the Atlantic is going to be rather a fun one itself because I don't know how long Boston is going to hold on to this pace because... It's a long season, and you don't know when some teams start getting to a bit of a funk. And that's why I try not to get ahead. But you have Boston. You would have, let's see, Florida. You would have Toronto. Then you would have Tampa Bay. All those four would make a deadly Metro, I mean, a Deadly Atlantic playoff system. So that being said, I think it would be a really interesting year. Now, I usually don't talk a lot about the draft lottery this early, but it's fun because the teams that are currently out of it still, I'm going to go all the way down to... Yeah, all the way all the way down to Carolina, which is point one, and same thing with Dallas. Then you go up to Pittsburgh, point two, Florida, Seattle, then Calgary with point three, L.A. with point four, Toronto point five, Tampa Bay point six, Colorado then point seven for Winnipeg, one percent odd of the Rangers getting to win the draft lottery. 1.7 for Minnesota, Detroit 2.4, Islanders at 3, Edmonton at 3.3, 3. 
Nashville at 3.7, Seattle at 4.2, Ottawa at 4.6, Washington Capitals at 4.7, 5.7 for Philly, 5.8 for Vancouver, 5.9 for Montreal, 5.9 for San Jose Sharks, 6.1 for the Buffalo Sabres, 7.4 for the Arizona Coyotes. 9% 9% for the Chicago Blackhawks. Then you have 9.6 for the Columbus Blue Jackets. And then 11.9 for Anaheim. So with that being the odds, it looks like those teams are going to probably stay in it. In it to win Bedard. Or Fantilli and Michkov. Now, the first teams looking to hit wild cards are the Kings, the Flames, the Rangers, the Kraken, the Leafs, the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Florida Panthers, Edmonton Oilers, Pittsburgh Penguins, Detroit Red Wings, then you have the Islanders, then you have Minnesota, Winnipeg, Colorado, Carolina, Nashville, New Jersey, and then you have the Capitals. So I tend to think that it's going to be an interesting playoff run for the Eastern Conference because a lot of the is going to be a generational shift. A lot of the teams like, you know... The Capitals are getting older, slower. I think they'll be like a first-round exit. But definitely, the two wild cards would definitely go to the Edmonton Oilers, the Rangers, the Red Wings, and the Toronto Maple Leafs. But if we look at Possibilities of winning their division. The Devils are at 43.1. The Bruins are at almost 70%. Vegas at 64.2. And Dallas at 61.6. And Carolina at 35. So these are all good things for the Devils at their current pace because they've won 12 in a row. Can they make it 13? Possibly, I'm not trying to get too high on anything. So, I'll be back in a short break. I'm going to get some more water. So, for those of you who know, um, I'm headed back to writing for Pucks and Pitchforks once again. It's been a few years since 2019 when I used to write for them. Um, I first started hockey writing with those guys on Fansided. And Pucks and Pitchforks has gotten much popular since I left, but um, I've gained more experience on other sites, and I just want to bring a different perspective nowadays. I mean, 
yes, I'm going to still write Devil's Content, whatnot, because it's pucks and pitchforks. But I also bring more of a draft and prospect and asset management type stuff. So it's going to be interesting, especially when uh, the season gets a little bit older. Now, you probably heard me talk about Sasquatch score, which is, you know, the physicality on defense, offense, stuff like that. And... Guys like Dawson Mercer aren't the most physical when it comes to hits, but they're more known for blocking shots and creating scoring chances. So he would be a little bit below average of a of a Sasquatch score at 28. How, however, the guy that stands out the most amongst all the skaters is Nathan Bastion at 68 because he has 45 hits. He has 15 block shots. He has eight points and 68 Sasquatch uh, points or Sask points. So the one who is really underperforming, and I can't say holds ball or pull out because I haven't played in much, it's... Uh, Jack Hughes because he's actually a playmaker and someone who makes a lot of the big plays. So you really look at defensively, it's more so Damon Severson where he's a he hits a little here, he blocks a little bit there, but he doesn't score a lot of offensive points as of late. Nico Heischer and Miles Wood do lead the charge. They're both tied at 37 Sasquatch points. However, Wood leads in the hits. And Nico Heischer outpaces Wood with the block shots. But Heischer leads in points production. So, with that being said, Nico is a points creator. Wood likes to create a bit more of a physical presence, which has always been his case. So, John Marino on defense, he loves to suppress shots as much as he likes to lay out the body and be physical. And for every hit and block he's made... He's produced a little bit of scoring chances. So with that being said, he takes away a lot of the play. And I wouldn't be surprised if Marino was out there against McDavid or Dreisaitl. And another couple of guys that really stand out in the hits department, Brandon Smith, Ryan Graves, Jonas Siegenthaler, Nathan Bashan, Michael McLeod. I, I will say this. Years ago, Bashan and McLeod looked like busts. But I said with Trey Matthews before that they're, they're not really busts because you redeemed yourselves with... Jack Hughes and Nico Heischer taking the top two lines. 
And they just lead the charge on the third and fourth lines being like the Bash Brothers. Um, kind of like a modern day crash line for you older Devils fans. So this is something that the BMW line, the Bash and McLeod Wood line has created modern day chaos, which I absolutely love. Now, <clears throat> Sasquatch D-Score. This is a new metric <clears throat> I have created. It's a blend of hits, blocks, takeaways, giveaways, and the overall D-Score. So the way it works is you add the hits, you add the blocks, you add the takeaways, you minus the amount of giveaways, and you have your end result. So it's basically simple math. It's not calculus, people. So, so I'm going to do the overall Sasquatch D-score. The leader belongs to Nathan Bastion at 64 Sask D-score. Why is that? He has 45 hits on the season, 15 blocks, 5 takeaways, 1 giveaway. And he's very smart with the puck. And he does create scoring opportunities when he does play that physical style of defense. So he creates those uh, counterattacks that way, breakout passes, stuff like that. The underlying metrics are there. The next best guy is Jonas Siegenthaler, who was traded for a third-round pick. A really good investment. He hits... For every 22 hits, he gets another 22 blocks. And he has eight takeaways, gave up six. That left him with the overall 46. Now, if you really want to rely on someone, Brennan Smith, for, for a bottom-pairing defenseman who's a veteran and a leader, has 34 hits... 13 blocks, he's he's gotten four takeaways, given up six. He's got 45. He's, he's third on the team in Sasquatch score, and that's a good thing. But he does need to improve. Otherwise, a hood, your ball are going to take over. The other two Sasquatches are going to jump in. And Michael McLeod, baby, 32 hits and eight blocks. Seven takeaways. Seven giveaways. That evens him out at 40. So him and John Marino are tied at 40. So with that being said, Ryan Graves has a Sasquatch score on defense for 33. Eric Halla with 31. Sharon Govich actually is very strong on takeaways and very good with the puck. And is very good at suppressing uh, teams in his own zone. And he does hit a little here and there. But he's meant to be the sniper. And that's a really solid Sasquatch D-score for a forward of his ilk. And Tatar gets a 25. Wood has a 23. Same with Heesher. Um, 
if you want to look at the overall takeaways, he sure is the number one. So Dougie Hamilton is meant to be an offensive guy than a defensive guy, but he leads a good charge. So with that being said, there is value when you make trades, signings, waiver claims, etc. And I think the Devils are on to something. So he sure leaves the team with 17 takeaways, Sharon Govich with 14, Marina with 11, Hala, 10 with Hughes, 8 with Siegenthaler, 7 with McLeod, 6 with Bratt, 5 with Bastion, 5 with Hamilton, 5 with Mercer, 4 with Brendan Smith, Tatar, Wood, then 3 with Graves, Palat, Severson, Three with Zetterland. And Zetterland is developing. He's really playing that overall fast-paced, big motor guy. He's going to be someone that Devils fans will love. They will enjoy that. And I embrace him for playing those ugly yet beautiful board battles. And the Devils really got the right pick in the I remember it was the second round in his draft class and it was only a matter of time they got him out of Sweden and just being fond of what he's done as of late with the Devils he's someone that is really hard to take out of the lineup which is a good thing but I do believe if trade does occur the Devils will look into moving someone. And I'm not sure if the Devils will want to move Alexander Holtz, but they may have to hold on to him. But they're definitely going to have to make some moves on the defensive side. Ryan Graves, I can see them extending by a couple years. Uh, I don't see Severson staying on much longer. I've been saying this for a while. And like I said, I do sound redundant, but Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick said, it's not money, it's a matter of term. And the Devils have a big door where Riley Walsh could be on the move. And Severson at the trade deadline is likely to fetch a first-round pick. And you toss in the match jumping in on the third line. It's good because you have Moreno and Hamilton. And then you have Seamus Casey coming in. And Ethan Edwards will come in before uh, Seamus Casey does. So the Devils have Luke Hughes, Shakir Muhammadulin, and Ahotjuk Ball and Vukojevic. So you have so many guys up in Utica. And... I do want to touch on Utica for a little bit, and I just want to dig into the Utica Comets because Kevin Deneen has done a really good job with raising this team and getting them ready for New Jersey. So this is a good thing to have, and I'm going to look at what the team has done and go from there because... 
you need to know about your farm system. All right, so they did lose to the Americans in Rochester. And it's going to, and just looking at the overall score, Utica scored one power play goal in three tries. So that tells me something's working. Then Utica had two goals and four assists. And that was six points. So this is going to be an interesting roster where Utica had Nico Dawes in that. He gave up three goals on on 24 shots, 21 saves. And he was bested by, by Hauser. So... It was actually a three to two game, so it was a one. It was a one goal game, which is hard to swallow. But it teaches these guys how to play with adversity. So the De- the the Utica Devils had eleven shots in the first period, then ten shots in the second period, then seven in the third. But it was tightly contested. So Utica had Pino scored with 53 seconds left in the period. Then Warren got the go-ahead uh, goal for a little bit in the second period as it began going in 8 minutes and 12 seconds. And then for Utica, Hutchinson scored his second goal of the season and that was at the 1427 mark <clears throat> and then Isaac Rosen gets the back the backbreaker being assisted by Yuri Cooley really good prospects uh so Hodgson was assisted by Brian Holonen and Laberge and then Nolan Foot and Andreas Janssen were the ones who benefited Pino on the power play. So, with that being said, I think the way the Devils Utica team is set up, they will definitely have a guy here and there come up when the Devils need to rest a guy or two. But I do believe Holtz needs to get some games in under his belt. But I'm very happy with what uh, Akir Schmid has done with Mackenzie Blackwood as of recent. So it would be interesting to see what happens. Let's see, November 18th, Tyce Thompson's late heroics lift comments over Americans. So I would like to see Tyce Thompson get called up soon. And it says here, as they battled their in-state rival, the Comets and Americans kept it close until Tice Thompson ended the game with a goal less than three minutes left in regulation. The victory propelled the Comets to a 3-2 victory. In the first period, Andreas Janssen fed the puck to the streaking Jack Dugan, 
who wasted no time picking his spot past Malcolm Subban, the Rochester goaltender for the first goal for that goal on the 9-minute, 24-second mark. So this game was to help Nico Dawes get set for the upcoming season with New Jersey, maybe later this year or next year. But there's no need to rush him. So <clears throat> it says here in the middle stanza, the, the Amherst took their first lead of the game on a shot by Ryan Malone at one minute and seven seconds that beat Dawes over his blocker. After the play settled, it was the Cobbs who tied the game, and it was Nikita Ohotuk uh, who took a harmless-looking wrist shot from just inside the left circle. So the goal was Ohotuk's for the first of the season, and it was assisted by Brian Holonen, who has a three-game point streak, and Robbie Russo at 6.04. And said in the final of... Regulation, Tice Thompson put his team up 3-2 to two after he stood at the crease and blasted home a Riley Walsh point shot that initially hit the post. So really, he banked it in. So it said, Thompson lifted the puck into the net behind Subban, who was unable to see the puck resting at his side. With the late goal, the Comets endured the goalie pull for the Americans and skated away with their fourth victory of the season and their 10th point in the standings. So, yeah, it's good to see the team playing with a little bit of that tenacity and some will and play and grit. And I do want to look at their stats so Chase DeLeo, okay, that's 21-22. Let's go to 22-23. Brian Pino and Andres Janssen have 11 points this year. Uh, Nolan Foote has five goals. Brian Pino, once again, leads with eight. Uh, Brian Holona with three. Tyce Thompson with three. Janssen and Dugan and Hutchinson and Samuel LaBerge and Zach Sinishin. All with two. Riley Walsh has one. Graham Clark. Nemech has one goal. Nikito Hotuk has one goal. So really everyone's scoring at committee. So Shimon Nemech has five points. And he's the second best defenseman on offense. Right behind Riley Walsh. And he has a plus three. And... Definitely is going to start getting more accustomed to scoring more frequently than Walsh because you never know when it's time to make a move to bring up Nemec when the time comes. So with that being said, I do see the Devils making a few moves here and there to ensure there's playing time for their prospects and also help weather the storm of this 41 to 82 game mark 
we're already like more than a quarter of the way done. So for those of you looking for me, I'll be on Pucks and Pitchforks on Fansided. I am Jersey Joe, and thank you for listening to Heads Up Hockey. I'm on anywhere you can find a podcast, whether it's Anchor.fm, Apple, Stitcher, even Amazon, and anywhere you could put your mind to. Thank you. Have a wonderful day, everybody.